Today I want to talk with you about uh, what has to be one of the great questions that we deal with in life, and that is, why do bad things happen to good people? Because I think we all kind of had to have this attitude or idea that if we do the right things, if we live the right way, if we do the right things in life, we, you know, we'll have good happen to us, you know, and bad won't come our direction. And especially if we're living for God and we give our hearts to Jesus and, and, and we're, we're, we're reading our Bible and we're praying, we're doing what we're supposed to do, that bad things won't happen or won't come calling. And uh, if you've lived for Jesus for any length of time at all, you know that that just simply is not true. What is true is that bad things do happen to good people. Bad things happen to righteous people. Bad things happen to people of the Spirit who are filled with the Spirit, people who are filled with faith, who have a close walk with God. And one of the great examples of that from, a, from the Bible is a man by the name of Job. And we find uh, his story in the Old Testament. Uh, when you go to Job chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that he was from the land of Uz, not Oz. He was from the land of Uz. And, and Uz was located in the biblical land of Edom. And so we have a, a little bit of a map here for you to look at. I think I have a pointer in my pocket here somewhere. And Uz, or Edom rather, is found right down here. Let's see here. Oh, wrong direction. Here we go. Uh, that's Edom right there if I'm not in your way. Up in here is Israel. Judah down in here, you know, just kind of give you your bearings a little bit. Okay, and so Egypt would be off over here. But this area right here is the kingdom of Edom. And the city of Uz, or the land of Uz, that region of Uz, was located inside this, this uh, geographic area called Edom. And I don't want to get too deep into it today because it's not the, the, the point of what I'm trying to talk about. But just to give you a little bit of history... Uh, the Edomites were the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother Esau. Again, a little history. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob and Esau. Jacob became the ancestor, the father of the nation of Israel. And Edom was, were the descendants of Jacob's brother Esau. Basically... They were a people group that were rebellious to God. Basically, they were a group of people that were, were Israel's enemies almost all of the time. <coughs> Excuse me. And Job lived in this land of Edom. But even so, Job did not follow the ways of the Edomites. He, did not, he, he was not rebellious against God. In fact, he followed God whole, wholeheartedly. This is what the book of Job says, beginning with chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God, stayed away from evil. He had seven sons, three daughters, and owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and he employed many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. And so when I look down through that, what are, there are a couple of key thoughts that jumped out to me. First of all, that Job was a righteous man. It's important for you to know that. 
God called him blameless. Wow, that's, that's an amazing statement. Blameless. Do you, do you think God would call you that? Blameless, a man of full integrity. Actually, if you're in Jesus, that's exactly what God calls you. You may not call yourself that, but that's exactly what God calls you when Christ is your righteousness. The second thing you notice about him was that he was very wealthy. Okay, so wealthy man, righteous man. Verses 6 through 12. Well, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? When you know the rest of the story, it's almost like you would rather God say, oh, leave my name out of it, you know, just don't bring me up at all. But the Lord says, have you noticed my servant Job? And um, he is the finest man in all of the earth. He is blameless a man of complete integrity. He fears God, stays away from evil. And Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything that he does. Look how rich he is, but reach out and take away everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. What, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Okay, a couple of key thoughts jump out to me from these scriptures as well. Number one, Job's life was such that God bragged on him to Satan. God bragged on him. Secondly, there will always be a test to your faith. And you need to know that. Your faith will be tested. It will not go untested. Nobody's does. And the test will serve to determine the strength of your faith, whether you have great faith or little faith. So the trial you go through will reveal that. Secondly, the trial you go through will strengthen the faith that you have if you want it to. So some people, the trial they go through takes them out with God. It pulls them away from God. They allow that to happen in their lives. It does not have to happen. The trial can actually make you stronger, make you better, strengthen your faith. Now the rest of the story of Job, because it's 40-some chapters long, we're not going to read it all, but suffice it to say, he lost everything. Job lost all of his possession. He lost all of his wealth. All gone. Richest man in the region, all gone. But when he still didn't curse God, Satan came back to God and he said, well, he hasn't cursed you because he hasn't experienced pain, physical pain. You let me strike him physically, and he will curse you to your face. And so God says, okay, as another test of Job's faith, but you can't kill him. You can attack his body, but you can't kill him. And the remaining part of the book deals with Job's struggle with what has happened in his life, living a righteous life, 
a life of full integrity to lose everything and to even lose your health would make one ask why, would it not? That's exactly what Job is doing through the rest of the book as he has friends that come along that try to answer the question why for him. As it turns out, they answer it incorrectly. In the end, Job passed the test that he was put in. And he was totally restored. Everything was restored to him. But from his life, I think there are important lessons that we can learn, even in 2015, about how to handle struggling times, trying times, what we might call bad times of life, because they will come even to good people. The first thing I want to share with you out of this story is this. Never forget it. God is sovereign in all things. And if you don't know what the word sovereign means, it simply means he's in control. It means he, he is in charge. It means he calls the shots of everything. In fact, I find it refreshing personally to realize that Satan can do nothing to me. He can do nothing against this church. He can do nothing against the witness of Christ. He can do nothing in the world at all except with God's permission. Your life as a Christian is under the control of a sovereign God who has the power to say yes and no to the attack of the enemy. Some of us, we kind of have this idea that Satan and Jesus are co-equals in this battle, in this struggle between right and wrong. But it is simply not true. Satan is a creature. He is a created being. In fact, get this, Scripture reveals that Satan was created by Jesus. He is not the same in terms of power or equality to the Son of God. He was created as Lucifer. And as Lucifer, he was created as the highest of all angelic beings. He had a glory that was given to him, a measure of glory that was greater than all the rest of God's creation, all the rest of the angels. Lucifer was number one. But that measure of glory that was given to him caused pride to enter into his heart. And that pride led him to rebel against God. He actually thought that he could over, that he was greater than the Father, that he was greater than God. And it resulted in his expulsion from God's presence and a change of his name from Lucifer, which means light-bearing or morning star, to Satan, <clears throat> which means accuser, which means adversary. Now, Satan does have power. We know that. We see it in the world today. We see it in our families. Satan has power, but he is not all powerful. Hallelujah. That title belongs to the Lord, our God, Jesus Christ. He alone is the one who is all powerful. So many scriptures tell us this. Let me just read for you Psalm 46, verses 6 through 11. Nations rage, kingdoms fall, but the voice of God 
but at the voice of God, the earth itself melts. Wow. The Lord all-powerful is with us. Hallelujah. The God of Jacob is our fortress, he, and he has come. See the fearsome things the Lord has done on earth. God brings wars to an end and over the world, all over the world. He breaks the arrow, shatters the spears, burns the shields. Our God says, calm down and learn that I am God. All nations on earth shall honor me, for the Lord is all-powerful, and he is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Never forget that Jesus is in charge. Godless people can threaten whatever they want. Hear me this morning, church. Godless people can say whatever they want. Militants can, can rally with their guns and make all kinds of defiant shouts. And nations, one nation will declare that it will annihilate another nation off of the map. Even disease may mock your faith, may mock you to your face, but they are not in charge. Jesus is in charge. And that's just as true with your life personally as it is for international affairs. So no matter what you are going through in your life, if your life is centered on Jesus Christ, he will bring you out in victory. Hallelujah. Because if God leads you to it, he will bring you through it. Glory to God. Number two, there are at least four causes or four reasons for bad things in our lives. <clears throat> Maybe more, but there's at least four. Number one, I would call self-inflicted suffering. Self-inflicted pain. Choices have consequences. And when we make certain choices with our lives, it will bring consequences, either positive or negative, into our lives. So when I talk about self-inflicted suffering, I'm here talking about suffering that we bring upon ourselves through bad choices that we have made in our lives. Many people, they come to Christ after a life of extreme sinful living. And some of you that are in this crowd this morning are, are an example of that. You were deep into sin and, re and Jesus reached out and grabbed you and brought you to Christ and you are a, a, an example of God's a restoring power, his saving power, his great grace. And it's wonderful what Jesus has done in your life. But often people who have come out of despairing situations, deep sin, have made choices with their lives that bring effect. It affects them. It touches consequences. It touches their life physically, emotionally, mentally. Sin has consequences. And while you can be forgiven of the sin, it does not necessarily mean that all the consequences go, that all the effect of bad choices leave, choices from the past. And so some of what we go through we have brought on ourselves what I call self-inflicted wounds. Okay, secondly, fallen nature suffering. 
We go through some things in this life because we live in a fallen world, a sin-cursed world. You and I have a fallen nature, a sin-touched nature. We live in a world that's been touched by sin, and that's the reason for some suffering. Why do you get a cold? You get a cold because you live in a sin-cursed world that breeds cold germs, and you caught it from somebody. One of you gave me what I got going on right now. One of you did it to me. And God's going to reveal who that is. You know who. We're going to find out. So don't come up and hug me, because I don't want to share what I have with you. All right? But why do I have it? Why do you get it? It's because we live in a world that is touched by these things, and we pass it on from person to person. You can take it through every disease that there is out there. Cancer, Alzheimer's, all of them. Why do they exist? Why does it attack? Same reason. Disease exists in the world because of sin. Sin is the breeding ground for disease. Sin opens the door for disease to thrive. It doesn't mean the person who has the disease has sinned. It means we live in a sin-cursed world. And therefore, these things happen to people, to good people and to bad people. It happens to both. But there are two observations that I want to make about this at this particular point. First of all, God has given us a weapon to fight the curse of sin. And that weapon is called the prayer of faith. And too many of us do not use it. Too many of us do not use it. It is the prayer of faith that God gives us to give us overcoming victory. The prayer of faith releases the power of God to bring healing for the sick, to bring healing against disease. And that healing power has the ability to reverse the course of sin's destructive impact. And so, church, we need to pray for, we need to believe for, we need to seek for miracles, signs, and wonders from heaven. In fact, tonight at an encounter service here at 6 o'clock, we're going to do that very thing. If you need a miracle from God in any area of your life, you come tonight believing you come tonight expecting, and we are going to see miracles happen in the service tonight because we're going to pray for you. The second thing I want to tell you with regards to this is that when we go through pain, God will not waste it. He never wastes a hurt. The first person I ever heard say that was uh, Rick Warren, and it is absolutely so true. What you go through that's difficult in your life, God will use to help you and to help other people as well. As well. So no matter what you go through in life, God will use it to perfect your faith. In her teachings on the book of Daniel, Beth Moore, who is such a great biblical teacher, made this statement and just touched my heart when I heard her say it. You will either be delivered from the fire that means you won't go through it, or you'll be delivered through the fire, which means you'll go through it, but he'll bring you out on the other side, or you'll be delivered by the fire, which means you'll step into eternity. So you'll either be delivered from the fire, by, let's see, get it right here, from the fire, through the fire, or by the fire. And I think that is absolutely true. 
And, and so when we realize that, we, we have a sense of victory about us because we will be delivered one way or the other. And there is no loss for the Christian. Hallelujah. Praise God. Number three, suffering from satanic attack. This moves into the realm of spiritual warfare. We are in a war as Christians. If some of us fought a literal war the way we live for Christ, we'd have been dead a long time ago. Right? You got to fight the fight. Paul says, fight the good fight. Let's not be passive about our faith in Christ. I'm preaching better than you're responding. Let's not be passive about our walk with God. Let's be determined in this walk with God, no matter what happens. We're going to serve Jesus all the way. Right, church? All the way. Um, we are in a spiritual war. Ephesians chapter 6 makes it very clear that we are wrestling against satanic principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. These are very real forces. And Jesus has gained the victory for us over our enemy through the cross. But you and I have got to appropriate what Jesus has done. Jesus paid the price, but we've got to appropriate that into our lives and into our families. Revelation 12:11 says, they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So this is how you overcome. It's through declaring the power of Jesus over your family, over your finances, over your health, over your marriage, over whatever the need may be. You do it in prayer. You declare your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ that because of what he did on the cross that we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks, because of what he did on the cross, he defeated every enemy against you and against your family, and you can declare God's victory over your family, and you give testimony of that, and you look at your mountain, and you speak to your mountain, and you declare to your mountain that it will not stand against you and God's victory, and you give testimony to others of the victory of God's touch upon your body and upon your life. Hallelujah. That's how you overcome the enemy. <clears throat> and then number four, suffering for Christ. There are times that we're going to suffer for Christ and we won't be delivered from that necessarily. There is always persecution against God's people. If you're looking for an easy life, you won't find it in serving Jesus. You'll find a free life. You'll find a joyful life. You'll find a liberating life, but you will not find an easy life serving Jesus. Serving Jesus is tough duty. You come under attack, not only from Satan, but some of his followers as well. Sometimes we suffer simply because we're Christians. We're mocked. We're, we're, we're not included. We're excluded. We're pushed out. We take unpopular stands. The world calls us all kinds of names because of what God's word says and because we stand up for God's word. That, you'll never get away from that. And some suffering comes because of us, because of that. 
seems to me that we're seeing this grow in America. There is a hatred for anyone who takes a stand that is contrary to pop culture. There is a hatred for anyone who challenges the sin of our culture today. And that hatred can cause great suffering. It can be overt, it can be out in the open, it can be covert, it can be under the, under the surface, but it's there and it's real. There will be times that you will suffer because you are a Christian. Now it's important to understand that this is not necessarily bad. God uses suffering times to teach us very important things. Even Jesus went through suffering, do you know? And the Bible says that it was important for him to go through it because it taught him things. That's kind of amazing. What can you teach God? But God's word says that Jesus suffered as a way to perfect him. Hebrews 2.10 says, It was right and proper that God, who made everything for his own glory, should allow Jesus to suffer. For his suffering made, a, made him a perfect leader. And God will use hard times in our lives to teach us and to perfect us just as he used hard times in Jesus' life to teach and perfect him. The third thing I want to share with you out of Job's life is this, that God will use bad times to test you. It will be a test of your faith. Job admitted that himself when he said in Job chapter 23, verse 10, but God knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I will come out like gold. When I've been tested, I'm going to come out better on the other side. When, God, when Job says, I will come out like gold, he was comparing his suffering to the kind of refining fire that you put gold through in order to purify it. You guys remember that from school days? They taught us how if you put gold in the fire, hot enough fire, that fire will melt the gold. And an interesting thing happens. What they call the, the impurities, what they call dross, will go to the surface of the gold. And, and the refiner will skim the dross off of the gold so that what's remain, what remains is pure gold. And the same thing, Job said, was happening to him. The test that he was going through was going to purify his faith like gold. And the same thing is happening in you. The test you're going through will purify your faith like gold. That's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. That is, it, it, def it defines, it identifies the strength of your faith. And, it, and it, it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole wor world. Some of you have misread that last portion of that scripture. You think the praise, the glory, and the honor is going to Jesus. What does it say? The praise and the glory and the honor goes to you on the day that Jesus is revealed because your faith is strong. Your faith is powerful. Your faith held the test. Now, this is not the only reason to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? 
but it's certainly one of the, the greatest reasons, one of the big reasons. And so some people, they kind of think to themselves, well, if living for God necessarily involves suffering and trials, then I'll just not live for God because I don't want to go through the suffering. That's very faulty thinking. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. And he was speaking to every single individual on earth, not just the followers of Christ, not just the disciples of God, but every person, whether you're a follower of Christ or, and whether you live for God or whether you don't. So that brings you to a choice in your life. If problems are inevitable, if they're going to happen to everybody, and your godless neighbor will tell you he has problems too, it brings you to a choice. Either have your suffering produce something good by submitting it and submitting your life and your trial to the lordship of Jesus Christ or get mad at God, rebel against God, and let your trials become meaningless. No good outcome. What was this for? I don't know. I don't see any good out of it. The choice is yours. Whichever way it goes is your choice. If you want to have meaning in your life, if you want your life's questions answered, you have got to give all of that to Jesus because he alone has the answers that will give your life meaning. And he alone has the power to give meaning to those trials and to turn them around into an incredible victory in your life. So the choice is yours. Give your life, give your trials, give your issues to Jesus and live with the victory he brings to you or live in defeat. Live with a sense of no, no answer. No, nothing coming to your heart that makes any sense. Do bad things happen to good people? Yeah. My mom and dad were powerful Christ followers and godly people tithed regularly, always, way more than a tenth gave to God's work, yet they went bankrupt. Well, I thought people who tithed never go bankrupt, and that's not true. I thought people who prayed never got cancer. That's not true. But there is victory through all of the struggles that we face in life, the pains that we go through. God is testing us. God is teaching us. And God is taking us to a greater victory if we'll turn it all over to him. Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.